bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Remember, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or better yet, make a monthly pledge of whatever amount works for you. And thanks also to the uh, local businesses who support this program, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery store and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we must build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that end. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so here's our lineup for today, folks. Uh, for our podcast audience, we'll interview Josh Mandelbaum, who's running for re-election to the Des Moines City Council. We'll also uh, talk with uh, uh, David Karad-Hari about why climate still does not seem to be everybody's top priority. We'll also uh, talk with Mark Rogers about his take on why the federal government has become the monster. We'll also talk with Rachel Mander from uh, Great Britain about a group of young Christian activists walking from southern England to Glasgow, Sweden, for the UN Climate Summit. And uh, we'll also talk with Jeffrey Weiss about Afghanistan. And Kathy Burns will join us to talk about food security, how maybe it's best driven by local governments. I'd like to welcome to the program Josh Mandelbaum. He's uh, running for re-election to the Ward 3 seat on the Des Moines City Council. Josh formerly served as a policy advisor to Governor Tom Vilsack. He's currently a senior attorney for the Environmental Law and Policy Center. Josh, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Ed. Great to be here. First of all, how serious is climate change in your campaign, or as more people are calling it, uh, the climate emergency? How serious is that to you? Uh, it's incredibly serious. So I've been on the city council for four years now, and we've had three climate-related events. The first was the flash flood in 2018 mm. that inflicted massive damage, and we had the amount of rain that we had in a matter of hours was more than we get in the average wettest month of the year. We could use some of that rain now. We could. Well, that brings me to the other side of this, right? Yeah. So this summer, we're facing drought-like conditions. Yeah. And that is combined with our already existing water quality crisis. That's threatening the drinking water for everyone that I serve. And then we had the derecho. And all of these events, we expect to see more of them mm. with the emerging climate crisis. Yeah. So it is imperative that we act. We've got a responsibility to act. It's not something that's going to happen somewhere else. It's going to happen everywhere, and mm. it's going to happen to residents in Des Moines. And if we don't solve it, we're leaving everyone with a huge mess. And how does the climate fit into your work with the Environmental Law and Policy Center? Yeah, so it's pretty central to the work that I do uh, at the Environmental Law and Policy Center. We're trying to create a policy framework where climate solutions can survive and thrive. And mm. so I do a lot of work at the Iowa Utilities Board, and a lot of that is around a number of the clean energy solutions that need to be implemented to solve the climate crisis. Mm. Thank you. Well, the, uh, I see under accomplishments on your website, it's uh, 
Uh, the first item listed is implementing local climate solutions. Uh, that's, uh, that's unusual to see a candidate who has that first on their page. Um, and you have four initiatives that are listed under that heading. The first one you mentioned is spearheading an effort to pass a 24-7, 100% clean energy policy. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that, and what we've tried to do, because Des Moines still doesn't have a comprehensive climate action plan, although we're working on it, is we wanted to address the policies that we knew would need to be part of a comprehensive climate action plan. And one of those is a clean energy standard, looking at where we get our electricity and what that looks like. Hmm. And in Iowa, we're fortunate. We've, we've developed a lot of wind energy in this state. 57% of our electricity now comes from wind, not without some problems and some controversy, but that's another conversation. Right. So we, we, have, we have a significant amount of wind already. And one of the things that our utility, MidAmerican, has started talking about is their 100% vision. And we took a look at their 100% vision, and they essentially were doing a REC-based vision, a renewable energy credit vision. And they could meet that 100% vision without retiring a single one of the five coal plants that they own and operate in Iowa today. Well, that's, that seems disingenuous, doesn't it? That's a problem, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. And, and so the next step is looking at what we need to do to actually be renewable, clean energy, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what our policy does. It takes that next step. It builds on where we are, but it looks to get clean energy 100% of the time. And that goes beyond where most cities currently are. Uh, and I think it's one of the best policies in the country at this point, and what yeah. I hope will be a model right. for other communities in Iowa and around the country. And tied into that, you've worked on the building uh, benchmarking uh, ordinance, and that intends to improve efficiency and water conservation in the larger buildings in Des Moines. And I know you've had some pushback, because I've heard it from some of the uh, larger landowners in my own neighborhood. Uh, how's that going right now? So it, it's going well. It, the ordinance is... Uh, you know, it's the first step, right? It's looking at how buildings use energy use and comparing those buildings to other similar buildings. So mm -hmm. if you are uh, good from a conservation perspective and efficiency and conservation perspective, this will tell you that. If you're not so good, it'll tell you that as mm -hmm. well. And hopefully it will prompt you to act. But the only thing that is required in this is actually collecting the information mm -hmm. Uh, and then eventually getting it out publicly so the public can can act based on that information. If they're concerned about being a tenant in a building that is not efficient, they can make that choice. Mm. And that's what the ordinance does. And we've actually had really good compliance in the in the first year, actually higher than when we look at similar communities. We've had a higher compliance rate than other communities that have done a similar program. Another thing you mentioned on your website is uh, adding electric vehicles to the city fleet, and that's great. Now, as a pedestrian, my concern, I'm, I'm concerned about that as well, but my concern, other, other concern is making Des Moines sidewalks and streets safer for pedestrians. We've got a long way to go on that. What can you, what can you do to tell us about uh, progress in that direction? Yeah, well, we, we've been making progress. And one of the things that we've done in my first term, we passed Move DSM, which is the first comprehensive transportation master plan that the city's ever had. And that includes our complete streets policy. 
that looks at how everyone uses our streets, from pedestrians to bikers to transit users, and thinks about how we make our streets work for everyone. And as part of that, we identified 680 miles of sidewalk gap in the city of Des Moines. And we classified those in three different tiers, priority one, two, and three. And we are making right now a $3 million annual investment just in closing those sidewalk gaps, which is something the city had never done before. Mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks back, I joined AARP, the Street Collective, the Heart Association, and Animal Rescue League in calling for us to close those priority one sidewalk gaps twice as fast mm -hmm. in the next 10 years. And that's one of those things that it'll make our community work better for pedestrians, mm -hmm. for bikers, for people taking transit, for kids walking to school. And it will also make our community more equitable because a lot of the places that have sidewalk gaps tend to be poorer parts of our community and parts that are traditionally not served as well. Yeah. Now, I know you, uh, you've you also been supportive of the uh, food, food initiative that uh, Kathy and I have been pushing, the Food Security Task Force. Uh, now, uh, how, just how important do you see it in the new climate era for Des Moines and other communities to be more locally food self-sufficient? Yeah, we need to think about adaptation. I mean, that's 100% a part of this, and there are a lot of different components that go into adaptation. So thinking about food security, energy security, uh, and having that resilience and having folks prepared. So when you have urban gardens and urban farms, you're creating resilience, you're creating security, and that's an important piece of this. Great. So um, you have two opponents, uh, not just one, you have two. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, how, does, uh, how, how, how do you distinguish yourself from your two opponents? Well, I think some of the stuff that we, we've been talking about, I think the record that I have on climate is a strong record. I understand the problem. I understand solutions and can work towards solutions and work through city government to get those solutions implemented. I've been uh, an advocate on complete streets and we've gotten things done there too. I've stood up, you know, we're currently reconstructing Fleur Drive, which is a, a great example. It's a, a sidewalk, finally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the first vote, the sidewalk didn't make it in, but I kept working yeah. on it. I was persistent and we got those sidewalks because it's a once in a generation investment yeah. that you make in reconstructing a street. I've actually used it several times. It, yeah. it, it's great because yeah. it connects people to grocery stores and then in the other way it the connects airport. people to parks, <laughs> to the yeah. airport, yeah. to shops. And yeah. It's a great connector and you can't miss opportunities like that. Well Josh, uh, thank you uh, so much for joining us folks. We were talking to Josh Mandelbaum, one of, uh, one of the uh, uh, eight people running for either re-election to or challenging a, a sitting incumbent for a seat on the Des Moines City Council. Thanks to the uh, local businesses who helped sponsor our program, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Ed Fallon with you here back in a minute. Thanks for having me, Ed. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, 
and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome, uh, David Karat Hari, to the program. Uh, David is professor of environmental science and sustainability at Drake University. He's also one of the lead authors of the Iowa Climate Statement that's been signed by over 230 Iowa scientists and others from 37 Iowa colleges and universities. David, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ed. It's great to be here. So I am uh, I'm deeply concerned about the lack of enthusiasm shown by the media and, to some extent, the general public about the climate emergency. It seems, you know, I mean, you, we can get all this coverage about COVID day after day, detail after detail. And, of course, posts on Facebook about uh, pretty flowers or cats with glasses, uh, a nice meal. Those get lots of uh, traction. I don't know whether it's Facebook putting the kibosh on serious <laughs> stuff. But, when I, you know, when I post something on climate change, might get one like. Uh, mm -hmm. Unlikely to get any comments. Uh -huh. And I don't know whether this is entirely, uh, this is just the media or it's the media and the general public. And, you know, and, we've, we, and we, now we've got the most renowned body of scientists in the world, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, saying, this is it, folks. It's now or never. Every indication is we have to be all on board on, the clim on, on fighting the climate emergency now. And yet we still have this disconnect. And so I'm, I'm hoping you can help shed some light on that for <laughs> me, for our audience. Why are we seeing this disconnect? I know you're, yeah, and, and you're, not, you're, not a you're, you're not a professor of psychology, <laughs> right. but, uh, but you certainly understand these things, I think. Sure, well, and um, uh, the other thing the IPCC said, by the way, is that, that it's unequivocal now that the, um, the warming has been caused by humans, which is, is something they've been, they've been becoming progressively more and more certain about that over time. And so it feels like that also adds to the, you know, clarity of the statement. And you're right, it got, it got some press, but, but not a lot. Um, I think, I mean, th there, there are a lot of reasons for that, and we can certainly get into some. I think there are two that really uh, strike home for me. And one is just that, you know, it is the kind of crisis that we're not good at thinking about, right? It's the kind of thing where um, if we, if, if we uh, act now, you know, um, it'll be a little bit better than it will be if we act, you know, in half a year and a little bit better than it would, you know, and, and, and so on. Right. So it's not... I mean, you can say they're going back 40, 50 years. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It would have been yeah. spectacular to have gotten on it in the 90s, right? Or we, the 70s know. when ExxonMobil <laughs> first knew that it was a problem. Good point. Good point. So, and yeah, that, those would have all made it easier. But the, the issue is that there's not a drop dead date that we know of, right? There are certainly climate uh, uh, triggers, but we're not sure where they are, right? And so it's easy for us to think, well, you know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll get on it, but, you know, we, we'll, we'll get on it when we, when we have time. So I think, I think that's part of it, right? It's, it's, it's like, you know, the national debt is a difficult thing to 
deal with because it's 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 a slow moving like pro issue. Let's deal with it, but in the meantime, we'll add another 100 hundred billion to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So so exactly, and 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 it's the same with climate, right? Um, and then the other thing, I I. When I'm bored of being productive, um, does that I, ever happen? <laughs> it happens more than it should. Um, <laughs> I uh, sometimes enjoy getting on the internet and um, arguing with climate deniers, um, which and is they're uh, not hard to find. <laughs> well, and it's 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 sort of a waste of time in some sense because it really is only about twenty percent of the population, and um, you know we make a big deal about them. But anyway, it's fun to argue with them, <laughs> and I think that there's um, that that. They that the, the, this line of thinking kind of represents a way that we've moved towards, and that is like someone will post something um, saying, uh, you know, humans only cause five percent of you know the, the the emissions, and so you know it's not even a problem. It's volcanoes, cows, and sunspots that cause the rest. Well, or you know, like the, like it's a natural cycle, right? And natural systems are removing more then like we add about 10 gigatons of carbon a year and, and natural systems remove about five. So natural systems are actually drawing down carbon dioxide. But, um, but the argument is that since natural systems is a big cycle, you know, it puts out 100, 200 um, gigatons and, but also absorbs, you know, uh, more than that. Anyway, so the point is that, 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 that the actual, like we are emitting pretty much only emitting and they are and natural systems are cycling. So this, this is a common argument that people make all the time. Sure. But what, I mean, so as you said, you, sometimes you get bored and you go out there and you argue with the 20% of the population that still deny climate change. But the fact that it's 20%, that's less than it was a few years ago and certainly less than it was 10 years ago. Right. And it's getting less all the time. When you have 80% of the population who understand the urgency of climate change, understand the the uh, the uh, human foundation the human cause of it why don't we why can't we see uh, more uh, more unified attention to the problem you know again why can't why why isn't why isn't the media screaming bloody murder every single day why aren't people more concerned about tracking an interesting story on climate change than a cute post about a flower or a cat I mean right, that, right. I'm, no, I'm still struggling with that right, I get that and so I guess what I, what I'm saying though is that like you have that so, so you can go and then you can present the, 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 the science that, that like why that thing that you just said, was, not, not that you, but the, the, the denier just said was wrong. And, and what they will come back with um, almost inevitably is, you know, well, you just want socialism. And, and I'm like, well, it's not, um, that's well, not but, what we're talking about but here. I, but I don't care about the, the, the 20% anymore. No, I, I get yeah. it. But, but I guess what I'm saying is that, that there is, we, we've allowed this to become highly polarized. And there's a large group of the population that thinks that the solution to climate change, if they if they were to accept that there was climate change, then they'd have to accept socialism, right? Um, and by socialism, they mean Venezuela or you know Stalinist Russia or something, right? That's that's their so. But that, that's not even. I mean, that, that's not true. You no, could, I, exactly. I mean, look, look at all the big business types that are pushing for various types of free market, I'm putting that in quotes, air quotes, free market, solutions to yeah, yeah, yeah. the climate crisis. 100%. But, but, but the message that people hear is that in order to fix it, it's going to be this huge, expensive problem, right? Mm. And that's true that in order to, with today's technology, you know, get it done by 2035, like that's, that's a huge issue. But, but we're not, we, we shouldn't be talking there yet. I think that we should be pointing out how, um, uh, inexpensive it is to address, right? In mm -hmm. fact, 
getting rid of coal is, is, is an economic winner, right? People, why don't people know that? Why don't people know that the you know, number of people you save, the money you save in healthcare costs, you don't even have to care about the climate. And just, just, just saving money from healthcare costs would be is enough to get rid of coal because, because renewables are close enough mm-hmm. that, um, that, that it doesn't cost a lot. So the point is that, that, that we can make huge changes well before socialism, um, yeah. And 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 but 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 people haven't heard that message, right? Mm. And so so they feel like in order to do something, um, it, 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 actually, in order for me to hear it, I need to. Um, uh, sorry, I can't hear it because if I hear it, then we have to go do socialism. And so I guess my point. Well, oh, go yeah, ahead. Or socialism, or or maybe something uh, even more dramatic, like. Uh, like uh, simplifying our lives, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Let, let me exactly. let me let me ask you this. Okay, yes, yes. So maybe part of the problem is this: you've got uh, the previous administration, pretty much. I mean, I, I don't know. Trump kind of waved a little bit uh, away from the denier field to admitting that yeah, maybe something's going on. But you've got a really stark contrast between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, and yet, and again, no doubt, President Biden is doing things that Trump would never have done relevant to the climate crisis. But you've got a problem. I mean, I, I, here's two examples. One, the Dakota Access Pipeline, approved by Donald Trump. And even though Biden said he was against it, he hasn't done nothing. He's done nothing to stop it. Secondly, and, and more, uh, more newsworthy, because it was just last week, you have the uh, situation in Alaska. And, you know, Trump had authorized a big uh, expansion of oil drilling there. And the court ruled that it was, it, they, well, canceled the permit. The, the mm-hmm. judge there mm-hmm. canceled the permit just last week. Yeah, yeah. Over the Biden administration's objections. Right. So you have Biden and Trump on the same page supporting oil expansion. And at least the court came down on the right side, even though it had nothing to do with climate. The opinion <laughs> seemed to be focused on polar bears. I mean, I, I just if I had any hair left, David, I would be pulling it out because I'm so frustrated by the lack of humanity's ability to focus on what is an existential threat? So much more of a threat than COVID. Yeah, um, right. And and I think the issue is that that people felt like COVID was a threat right then, like that that, that we had to deal it was. with at a, at a particular point. Yeah, and so so and so is climate change. <laughs> well, it is absolutely. Um, but I guess the the the, the thing is that. Um, we have to find a way to get people to listen again. And obviously, you know, politics in the United States is, is just hard these days, right? The fact that getting anything done is hard. Um, with gridlock, it's it's tough to see where we go. I, I, you know, I, I'm not willing to blame gridlock on this. It, just, it seems to me that there is a collective unwillingness to face reality. Yes, and, I, and, and again, <laughs> I, think, I think the issue there is that is that people have heard that if they face reality, and it's not, it's not that what we've what what they've been told, but they've heard that if they face reality, then suddenly you know it means government takeover, and and that's sold enough that now only half the pop, half the population listens to news really that 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 that, that even discusses climate change, right? Yeah. So, if that, sure, yeah. sure. Well, David, we're going to have to have you back on uh, another time to talk. I do want to get I want to talk more about the uh, Iowa climate statement and also to see what other states are doing. I mean, this is huge that we have a, 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 a massive group of scientists and leaders from across the state issuing a significant report on the local impacts. 
Let's have you on some other time to talk about that. Since yeah, we, uh, we kind of uh, blew our wad here venting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And i got to move on to another segment, a short break, folks. When we come back, uh, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Rogers is going to join us. Um, he's a fellow podcaster. He comes at this stuff from a different perspective. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Happy humidity, folks. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, remember what you hear on this program, you won't hear on the corporate-owned radio stations. And you can support that our alternative uh, by becoming a monthly sponsor. Check it out, folks, uh, at the Fallon Forum website or just send me an email at ed at fallonforum.com. And thanks to our local business partners, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake, wherever you live in Iowa, uh, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling that's offered on a self-pay basis. You can contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Let's learn more. You can learn more at uh, groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. All right, I would like to welcome to the program my fellow podcaster, Mark Rogers. Mark was a restaurant and bar owner for 23 years in the Des Moines metro. He now works as a canvasser for Americans for Prosperity, and he hosts a podcast called Taking Down the Monster. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ed. And given how many times I heard the former president, President Trump, called a monster, I'm, I'm going to guess that your podcast is kind of an anti-Trump thing. No. Oh. <laughs> it's not a I'm kidding. Thing. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> it's a pro-American thing. And your focus and the monster is the federal government, of course. Okay. And what the what does taking down the monster involve? Um, it, it, it involves trying to get our federal government, and it's going to take time. It, it, may, it may take um, something cataclysmic for it to happen, but we have to constrain our federal government back to its constitutional uh, foundations. So, and so we, you don't want to take it down. You just want to put it back in its place. Put it back in its place. Okay. And that place is? 
uh, very constrained, very limited. And when we uh, choose to, you know, a lot of liberals talk about a living constitution and that it's supposed to evolve over time. Well, that's not true. What our founders gave us was an amendment process. And what they had hoped is that we would follow that process. And, and that process, what it, what it uh, entails is that in the end, the with something has changed, it's changed by the supermajority of Americans, so we don't have huge division in our country. It's not a 51-49 vote. It's more like a 70-30. Okay, and then no argument with that. But what what is it that the federal government is presently doing that you don't like? Almost everything. Um, uh, well, you um, name the subject. Okay, uh, Health care, uh, education, um, uh, environmental issues. Uh, okay, so wait, wait, wait. Environmental issues, I okay. said that one on purpose. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I stopped you there on purpose. So what's, what's wrong with having a, a federal government that says, okay, Iowa, you've got to not dump all your topsoil and nitrites into the Mississippi River so that you're destroying the uh, shrimp industry in New Orleans. Well, first I'd like to say that I, I agree with that. I don't think we should be dumping everything into our rivers okay. and destroying uh, uh, the uh, Gulf of Mexico or a vast uh, majority of it. Well, not a majority of it, but a big chunk of it. A big dead zone. It's a big dead zone. Yeah. No, what I, what I do want is, again, if we don't follow the process of, let's say, an EPA, there is no EPA in the Constitution. It does not exist in any way, right. shape, or form. But, but, but you, I mean, logically, there should be some entity that makes sure that one place is not sending its air pollution, its water pollution, any other type of pollution to its neighbors. So why haven't, over time, our representatives to Washington put together an, an amendment to the Constitution and sold it to us like that so that we are all going, you know what, we're in on this. We're, we're, we're together on this. This is no longer a state's issue. This is a federal issue, mm -hmm. and, and we, we will uh, succumb to what federal well, dictates I, I, are. I think that would be a great idea. The problem is the big corporations that benefit from pollution wouldn't go for it. And they would fight it tooth and nail. They would put lots and lots of money into it to make sure it didn't pass. Well, uh, maybe. But uh, that doesn't mean that it that it wouldn't pass because I, I truly believe that if something's brought up and it's reasonable, it's logical, it's common sense, that's the way our our, our, our country was set up. That's the way our, our country is supposed to work. And when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, when we get outside its bounds, boundaries, what we have is division and chaos, which is where we're at now. Sure, we got so, that. So the minute you step out of it, which we have massively, it's right. not close, right. you have nothing. You have nada. You have zilch. You have... You have uh, Bypass the process. You are just making up stuff out of thin air now, and that puts people at 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 okay. Uh, okay, so at each other. Okay, so maybe uh, maybe we can agree on the core problem in this example, and that is that there are entities, often huge corporations and, and multi you know multimillionaires, billionaires, who've got so much money that they can basically buy public influence. They can basically convince people, even against their best interest, to vote a certain way. So if we did have an amendment process to try to get something into the Constitution regarding the equivalent of an environmental protection agency, those big companies would have enough money to fight it, just as those big corporations and special interests have enough money to send their preferred candidates to Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So isn't that part of our challenge is to get big money out of politics? Well, sure. I would offer an amendment because the, the founders did not see that 
um, and they, they warned against it, that factions would become uh, important political parties. They didn't even want political parties to start with. There was That's no true. need to right? because the federal government was given so little responsibility in the internal workings of, of our country. States were sovereign. States were supreme. And, and so this, this whole idea now that we have major, two major political parties uh, each funded sometimes by the same people, oh, yeah. <laughs> massively by m- millions and millions of dollars every election, should not be necessary at all. But it is the way it is now, unfortunately, because all the power is in Washington, or most of it. So I would offer an amendment to the Constitution, not for term limits. That takes away my freedom to elect to or, or nominate or elect whoever I, I choose. Some people are doing a good job, in my opinion. I want a, a strict... Uh, controls over campaign finance, so and and the length that a campaign can go on. Okay, we would, we would agree on that, right? Yeah, but, if ta- but if, again, there's nothing in the Constitution about it. It takes an amendment. An amendment. Okay, so but back to the federal government's powers. Uh, what about foreign affairs? What should our what should the federal government's position be relevant to national defense? Uh, relevant to relating to other governments around the world. That's what the states hired. They created and hired the federal government. So to how, do. how is the federal government doing in that in that in that category? Terrible because we spy on people because we uh, we attack countries. We attack people without declaring a war, which we haven't declared war since World War II. Yet we've been in beyond tons of small conflicts and assassinations. We have. Um, uh, we've been in the Vietnam War, the Korean conflict, which may have been a UN war, but it was basically the United States. Uh, we've uh, we've been to uh, Grenada. We've been to um, uh, obviously Afghanistan and Iraq. We we have been involved in other skirmishes well, around the world. And there's loads of uh, clandestine operations in Guatemala, El Salvador, Chile. You name it. There's so many places where we've been involved under the radar. And there is no CIA or all these intelligence agencies in our Constitution. They do not exist. Yeah, that would, that would probably be a hard sell to the American people to get an amendment passed. Would you support establishing an agency that spies on you? That no, would I don't be think hard most sell. people do, but, but that's what we have. See, this works both right. ways. Both, that's why our country is divided, because we've gotten outside the process and outside our foundations that really made sense. Well, but... And, and without that, you can say, well, emotionally, this is what I want done. I, I think it ought to be this way. And we're worried. And, and, and if we can't do it within the process because of major corporate money or whatever, then, then we're just going to do it anyway. But, then you have the breakdown of all society. But what about when it comes to protecting the, either the rights of the minority or in the case of um, uh, abortion or a woman's right to, uh, to access uh, that service. It's not a federal issue. It's a state's issue. But what about when you have states that, uh, that again, through various types of influence, not always money, but sometimes through, um, through uh, the, the wielding of the, un, the unfair wielding of this perceived moral justice? I mean, you see that happening with, uh, okay. with churches that, that believe very strongly, and I, and I respect their right to believe that way. I don't respect their, their, their interest in bludgeoning. Uh, the community at large with a, with a, uh, with an opinion uh, about you know what a woman should do when she has to make that difficult choice. The number one job of every single representative to Washington D.C. the premier the primary job their job is to protect our natural rights that is life 
liberty, and property. They are listed in the Constitution. That is what they don't do. They go there, and what they do is they immediately start wanting to tax us more money, to redistribute it in, in all kinds of unconstitutional ways, picking winners and losers. This is what they do. They steal our property. That property I believe it should be in the pockets of the American people, the people that made it. And then... Okay, so back to... Isn't it isn't even more important that they are... That they, that, that if a state tries to steal a person's right, whether it's, again, okay, let's go back to the 60s, a black person's right to vote, a black person's right to go to any cafe, to drink at any drinking fountains, to ride any bus. I mean, at some point... There needs to be a higher authority that comes and say, okay, you can't do that to those people. You can't do this to women. You can't do this to minorities. Okay, we could go on and on about this. We both believe that that's not a good idea, okay, right. to discriminate against people. But I'll tell you what, it, it, if there, and there's discrimination every day in our country. Sure. We just don't always see it. When people discriminate, then, then, then it, it brings in a number of factors. One is people, instead of going to the government and saying, Oh my God, I've been discriminated against. What are we going to do? I can't go and sit at that counter or whatever. Sometimes you get mad. Sometimes you partner up with your neighbors and your family and you just build your own cafe because that's the American way. And let me tell you, there was a lot of entrepreneurialism in the black community from Reconstruction till the 60s well, when, yeah, you when build, our country you can, you, was ruined. Okay, you can build your own cafe, but you can't build your own bus service. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I guess you could on a small scale, but you can't, you know, I, I mean, at some point there has to be someone come, come in and say, okay, this isn't going very well. We're going to have to. We're going to have to step in. And well, again, I think that should happen as minimally as possible. But I think that's a role the federal government needs to play. Well, um, you can look to the Fourteenth Amendment and try to extrapolate that that role. But the um, I I truly believe in the end, people's liberty to even discriminate. In the end, we will all be better because it's honest. It's not latent. It's not hidden. And we react accordingly. We we react with our dollars. We react with our actions. We make change in our communities, and that is organic and real change, not top-down change, where people resent it, well, Mark, where people then are, are split again. They're divided. I, I'm going to do what no intelligent talk show host should ever do and give you the last word. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Mark Rogers, folks, also a fellow podcaster, comes at the uh, universe from maybe different perspective than me, but again, I think we do find some common ground, and we all we believe very strongly that uh, there ought to be alternative and independent voices out there in the media. Mark, thanks for joining us. All right. Well, thank you. When we come back, folks, uh, Rachel Mander is going to join us all the way from England. We're going to be talking with her about a group of young people walking from southern England to Glasgow, Scotland for the UN Climate Summit. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision 
through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, as we broadcast from the heart of America's heartland here in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, thanks again to the people who support this program. You know, we're the alternative to the right-wing shock jocks, and you can help, too, by becoming a monthly sponsor. Check out the information on the Fallon Forum website or contact me directly at ed at fallonforum.com. And in addition to our local businesses who sponsor the program, I'd like to thank our nonprofit partners as well, including Bold Iowa, Building Rural Urban Coalitions to Address Climate Change. You can learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get more information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, I would like to welcome Rachel Mander to the program. She's with the Young Christian Climate Network. This is a group walking relay style from southern England to Glasgow, Scotland, in advance of the COP26 UN Climate Summit. Rachel, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Now, Cornwall to Glasgow. For people who in the U.S. who might not know that geography, that's a pretty long hike. <laughs> yeah, it is a long way. And actually, we haven't gone a straightforward route either, so... Uh, the journey is about, it's over a thousand miles in total. Wow, okay. So, and uh, how many participants do you have overall? Well, it's a little bit difficult to say because because we're doing it in a relay, different people do different sections and we're finding that often people will just turn up on the day that we didn't know about. Um, so we reckon we've had about 700 people walk with us so far and it will be more by the time that we reach Glasgow in November. All right, and so any given day, how many folks are marching? Well, we've got coronavirus restrictions at the moment, so uh -huh. um, it has to be under 30. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of anywhere within that range. And how many and how many kilometers or miles a day are you putting in? It's roughly about 10 plus and minus either side, depending kind of which part of the country we're walking. Right. Okay. And uh, how do you? I, I some of these questions are just of personal interest because. I've been there and done that. <laughs> uh, where do you stay, yeah, where do you stay where do you stay at night? Uh, well, we're being put up by lots of different churches along the way, so but it's you know a variety of village halls <laughs> wherever it might be available, right. um, and it has people willing willing to host. You you don't have you don't have, you don't have, you don't have to sleep in a tent like we did on on the U.S. march. <laughs> We've we've been lucky. We've had we've had buildings. Yeah. All right, very good. And so, um, are, yeah, you're again. You're focused on the uh, COP26 climate summit. And what are you finding in terms of conversations along the way? Are people receptive to your message? People are very receptive. You would be surprised by how many people in the host country of the UK don't know that COP26 is happening or what it is. Um, but that's part of the fun of it for us is having those conversations and being like, actually, did you know that uh, we've got this huge host role in an international <laughs> conference on one of the like greatest 
um, issues of our time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and talking people through that is, is really good fun. And so awareness about the uh, COP26 uh, summit is important. But what about when it comes to the objective of the summit to really try to move forward internationally with some solid action on, on the climate emergency? Do, do people seem to be supportive of that agenda? Yeah, people are supportive. And again, our particular focus is on um, finance and the fact that actually at the moment countries feel the effects of climate change. They have to either pay that for themselves or take on more debt to pay. Um, and the promises that have been made by uh, rich nations, nations like the UK and the US, haven't been kept. Um, and we think that by the time of COP26, we need to see progress, especially from rich countries, on keeping those promises as we try and progress the negotiations forward. And are you optimistic about what might be accomplished in, in Glasgow? I'm, I'm not optimistic, but um, I have hope that is distinct from that optimism, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, I, I'd rather we both. I, I'd rather we could have both uh, hope and optimism. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean the uh, the the I, the IPCC um, report that came out last week was it, it really minced no words. It said this is it's now or never. We have to drastically change how we live on this planet now, or we not we're not going to be able to fix this. Yeah, and I think what's what I think is a real tension in this is both acknowledging how um, severe the place is now and having um, the hope that we need in order to make the transition that we need across this next decade and being clear on that. And at the moment in the UK, we've got a strange situation where a lot of people agree that we can't keep the status quo and that things need to change. But when it comes down to the facts of changing, <laughs> I'm suddenly yeah. quite reluctant. Right. Um, and we need to kind of bridge that gap going forward. Yeah, and that's a challenge. I mean, what? And, and in my experience, walking is a good way to kind of uh, connect people with a conversation that needs to be had. And are you finding that as well? Yeah, definitely. One of the most wonderful parts of the relay so far for me was on one of the first days I'd actually joined it, um, and um, there was a woman about my age, I'm 24 for context, um, who was saying, oh, I've just had the most wonderful conversations today. I've never really thought about the theology of climate change or what it means for me, and people have just been talking about the things they've been involved in, and some of the people I've been walking with today have been doing this activism and campaigning for years and years, and it's really inspired me to think more seriously about this. That's nice, And yeah. I was so encouraged because I thought that's exactly what this is about, is that human connection as well. And again, this walk, this 1,000-mile walk from Cornwall to Glasgow, is, uh, is sponsored and organized by the Young Christian Climate Network. What can you tell us about the Young Christian Climate Network? Well, we're actually quite a young network. We launched last year in August 2020, which means a quite strange thing is that this is formed entirely over um, Zoom and other kind of web platforms. Um, so our kind of send-off service when we left Cornwall, there were five of us from the network, and that was the biggest in-person gathering <laughs> of our network at that time. At that time, and okay. since that point, we've, we've been able to... Um, meet more more of us along the way kind of thing which has been wonderful but it was really formed out of this shared desire that we wanted to be an action-focused community and a lot of us have 
made choices in our individual lives that come to that point of being like, well, actually, I, I want to be able to do more, but I can't do it alone. Um, so, and so we're a group of um, 18 to 30-year-olds in the UK um, choosing to seek climate justice um, right. as we follow Jesus. So and what did the Young Christian Climate Network come together specifically, at least initially, to, uh, to accomplish this walk? Um, no, we didn't. So that was kind of a later decision in oh. January as we were talking and being like, hang on, this is happening in our country and what does it mean for us yeah. to take action in this context? Well, they're very good. I think it's, I think it's an important statement. I, mean, I look forward to keeping, uh, uh, keeping abreast of what you accomplish. Uh, I have two more questions for you, Rachel. Um, what, what are, what are, how, how do you feel, how do other marchers feel about um, Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson? Uh, he recently proposed mm-hmm. uh, his uh, Coal, Cars, Cash and Trees initiative. Which sounds very positive, getting off coal, um, reining in the use of cars, uh, spending money where it needs to be spent to do the right thing, and to, and, 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 and to the extent that, that it makes a difference, planting trees. Um, is, is, is Boris Johnson's message there being received well, or is it, uh, is it coming under maybe some justified criticism? I would say justified criticism. There are a lot of words, <laughs> but a lot of the actual decisions aren't lining up with the same words. Um, mm. So we have a case where um, there's been a coal mine proposition in Cumbria in the UK, which has faced a large amount of backlash. Uh, the UK government has also just um, sponsored more oil and gas uh, permits in uh, the North Sea. Um, we've cut our foreign aid budget this year. Uh, we've taken a lot of steps in terms of cancelling key policies um, and we've got a good kind of high level um, ambition within the UK climate targets but we're off track for where we need to be for um, even 2022-2023 because our policy isn't matching up to Mm. what we said we will do. Right and that's that's unfortunately true in many countries including the US so so what, um, what can folks here in the U.S. do to help support what you're doing to learn more about it, spread the word? What's, uh, what, what would your advice be to people here in the U.S. who are fans of what you're accomplishing? Well, the main thing you can do is go and look at our website, which is yccn.uk. Y-C-C-N. Um, you can see what we're up to. So yccn.uk. That's youngchristianclimatenetwork.uk. Yeah, Got it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and... Um, You can also reach us via email, which is hello at yccn.uk. And we can give you the link to our prayer WhatsApp group where we share updates and prayer as we're walking um, to follow in that way. Very good. Well, I I think uh, I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. And uh, I wish you um, lots of success and safe travels. Uh, Having walked many roads before, I know that it can be a little bit dangerous depending on the route. And... uh, and again, I hope you continue to have good response from people you meet along the way. And uh, now, will some of you be attending the climate summit? Yes, and um, I will hopefully be there in person myself. Great. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us, folks. We've been talking with Rachel Mander. She's with the Young Christian Climate Network. Uh, that group is walking relay style from Cornwall in southern England, a thousand miles to Glasgow, Scotland, in advance of the COP26 climate summit. Rachel, best of luck. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, when we come back from a short break, uh, Jeffrey Weiss is going to join us. We're going to be discussing 
and trying to sort out the mess in Afghanistan. Back in a few minutes with you on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. back to the Fallon Forum. We just survived the State Fair. What have you survived this past week? Hey, thanks again to those in our listening audience who support the Fallon Forum. Our team of five dedicated volunteers couldn't do it without you. If you're not already supporting our mission, consider a donation on the Fallon Forum website, or better yet, become a monthly sponsor. You can write to me at ed at fallonforum.com, and we'll give, you, we'll give you the details. Thanks also to our local business partners, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Our cat loves her. I think maybe our chickens love her. Uh, you can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just call Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. It is my delight, my pleasure, my honor to welcome to the program Jeffrey Weiss. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you? And it's good to be here. Okay, so uh, I, I love having you on the program, but it, it's ne it never goes well because we're always talking about war. And I know you're, you're, you're kind of the war guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, well, okay, let me be serious. You really know foreign policy. You've studied this stuff. You've worked in this area. Afghanistan is a huge concern right now. And there are some folks who are saying, yes, Joe Biden, thank you. You finally got us out of Afghanistan. A lot of folks across the political, political spectrum are saying, Joe, you blew it. What do you think the truth of the, of the matter is? What's, what's really, what's the backstory that maybe people are missing that should be considered as we try to figure out what's going on and whether it's the right course of action? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is, is Joe Biden is, is not the issue, number one, even though corporate media seems to have laid 20 years of a war and occupation in which the United States essentially inserted itself into a civil war, um, the issue. So I, it really is sad for me to see such a ridiculous narrative playing out on MSNBC, CNN, Fox, across the board, um, where um, 20 years of a military operation and occupation is, is, is somehow boiled down to, to one man. So you're feeling sorry for or Joe even Biden. Two, or even two. You're two feeling people, sorry Donald for Joe Trump. Biden? Well, 
The uh, a little bit. Uh, the reality is the Doha agreement in February of 2020 um, set all of these That's deadlines. the uh, one that Trump signed. Absolutely. Yeah. Which essentially said the United States would not take military action against the Taliban. But it also said the Taliban would not retaliate against U.S. personnel or troops, correct? Yes, this is true. Well, then what's wrong with that? That sounds like a pretty good arrangement. Very, I mean, very little is, is probably wrong with that. If okay. you were anybody who is in favor of ending a uh, 20-year uh, war Which and most Americans are. Which most Americans are. And, and what is interesting is that the narrative has, has developed on television where all of a sudden corporate media has discovered the people of Afghanistan. All, I mean, they're going into hospitals. They're talking about people mm. who are victims of political mm -hmm. violence. Well, right. where were they a few months ago when... Um, our own, uh, you know, um, military and our own drones, you know, bombed a wedding party. And we don't know the names of those dozens and dozens of individuals. Who were we killed. don't know the names of the tens of thousands of civilians who were killed in this war. I mean, even the narrative that all of a sudden that the United States is, is really concerned and overly concerned about the status of Afghan women... Um, is laughable on a number of levels. I mean, the people of Afghanistan were caught between foreign armies, a corrupt government and military, which also, by the way, took child bribes, stuffed ballot boxes, etc. You mean you mean the 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 the, the government that the U.S. put in place? Absolutely. I mean, I. I was giving lectures on Afghanistan a decade ago at the time where it's almost where the very first president of Afghanistan, Hamad Karzai, was was literally talking about joining the Taliban. Interestingly enough, today it was reported, of course, that the Taliban is talking with Karzai. And I mean, the United States developed a policy in this country of Afghanistan, somewhat similar to Iraq, where they tried to essentially divide and conquer. And they tried to create a military well, we, 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 full of a minority Tajik population. We, we, they we, never infiltrated the Pashtun, which are half the population and which are the Taliban. And now you have a situation where non-Taliban, non-Pashtun, have sided with the Taliban. Okay, but, but So the, we, sh we shouldn't be surprised. But did the U.S. create that division or exacerbate it or was it already there? Well... Afghanistan is not a nation state in the way we think of nation states. Tribal communities. Yeah, well, there was, a, there was stability between World War I and 1973 when essentially the monarchy was overthrown. Ever since then, it's a legacy of the Cold War. I mean, mm. you have the Soviets who said they had to be in Afghanistan because the United States had lost its base in Iran, and otherwise the United States would be there. And that didn't very that didn't go very well for them. Well, no, and of course that's yeah. what our forces. You know, you remember Ronald Reagan calling the Mujahideen, who would yeah. later become Al Qaeda, who would later become the Taliban, the moral equivalent of our founding fathers. I, I would like corporate media to <laughs> walk around and see if some of the members of the Reagan administration, who called Bin Laden and people like him the moral equivalent of the Founding Fathers. Can somebody go ask them some questions now? I mean, yeah. they're completely missing. I mean, so, well, there's, well, there isn't any past in well, this. It's completely, completely ahistorical. And it's it's, it's, it's all coverage without context. It's a revisionist history. Completely. <laughs> Why? Well, what, what, what do the media have to gain? I understand what politicians have to yeah. gain by it. What do the media have to gain by participating in this revising of history? Well, I... You know, I'm not sure anymore if there's any war or bombing or occupation that corporate media doesn't support. You know, even Why? as critical Why? as the CNN and MSNBC were of, 
of, of Donald Trump. You remember when he laid the mother of all bombs on Syria, they were, he's presidential now. And I mean, even the New York Times, um, you know, and so. But, but what, what do the media have to gain by being well, complicit? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a couple of things. Um, you know, the United States is, I often call it a wannabe empire in decline. I've been calling it that for a while. But, but, but no, no nation has survived in a, in a, with a permanent war economy in a perpetual state of war. Um, mm -hmm. Eisenhower warned us. Dr. King warned us. Lots of people have warned us. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard warns us on a regular basis. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> the even, much maligned within the Democratic Party, well, Tulsi Gabbard. I think even Gates, a former defense. I mean, not Bill Gates, leader. No, the other Gates, Robert Gates, even invoked <laughs> right. Eisenhower a few times. And you also have the members of Congress who are now, of course, criticizing Biden, and they are the. You know, I mean. The weapons contractors, Lockheed Martin, the lobbyists, oh. the, the you know congressional members and, that have entities these... that probably advertise on the New York Times. Absolutely, pages. Yeah. absolutely, okay. and you know they were the big beneficiaries of this war. I mean, I assume maybe Lockheed Martin or some of these General Dynamics, their stock might take a hit so, as a result of thinking the United States is winding it down. So, speaking of the New, of the New York Times, I, I, I came across an opinion piece by a former Marine captain who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan, Timothy Kudo, perhaps you saw mm -hmm. it. I want to read you his quote and get your take mm -hmm. on it. Kudo writes, quote, There is no celebrating for those of us who ache each day, wondering how we could have given the best parts of their lives to such a lie. The war in Afghanistan, in other words, is a lie, was a lie. I mean, 800,000 United States soldiers cycled through there. I mean, I know people who have traumatic brain injury. Um, I've had young people in the classroom who have um, horrible injuries, uh, mental and physical, from that war. And the question is, you know, can you really bomb your way to peace? And I honestly think the United States population looking at opinion polls in terms of pulling out, the majority say the United States should have pulled out. Whether the United States would have pulled out 15 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago, uh, there was bound to be some a little bit of chaos and disruption. But, I mean, what would people prefer? Would they have preferred that there was a civil war in Kabul and, and there was massive bloodshed? I mean, in fact, the way it ended up going down, um, there was, um, it, it could have been far worse, I guess, is, is, is what but I would you, say. But you would have supported getting out of there a lot sooner or maybe not even getting in there at all. Not even getting there at, at, at all. I mean, the reality is uh, September 11 was uh, there were 15 hijackers from Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Oh, Saudi Arabia. That's an interesting ally. Why Boy, they have a wonderful treatment of women, too. I, <laughs> yeah, why, so yeah, glad why, our State why, why didn't we invade Saudi Arabia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 15 of the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. Um, much of the planning was done in apartments, not in in Hamburg, Germany, uh, you know, rather than in Malaysia and places like that, rather than in, in training camps. Um, the Taliban is a local group. Their focus, their Pashtun, um, their focus has been on Afghanistan. Um, are they authoritarian? Are they corrupt? Yes. Uh, we'll see what Taliban 2.0 is going to look do you, like. Do you, do you think they'll be, they're saying they're going to be more moderate. They're, they're, they're promising a kinder and yeah. gentler uh, version of Sharia law. Mm -hmm. do, you, do, you, do you believe that? Well, well, they'll have to be to some extent. And, and 25 years of the internet and texting and email, which they are engaged in, uh, is going to, I mean, they're not going to be able to run an economy. Um, 
Afghanistan sitting on what's often described as one trillion dollars of lithium, <laughs> which right. is you know cell phones. You think of of um, how yeah. that mineral is used. Are we, we going to go to war for lithium? Uh, no, <laughs> and, and 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 of course, you know, you have now you know China, Pakistan, and a lot of the neighboring countries that are going to now have to contend with Afghanistan. I mean, those neighboring countries were able to sort of sit back and allow the, the United to, States yeah, to embroil itself. Give, right. Yeah, embroil yeah. itself in so, what's called the graveyard of empires. Now China and them are going to have to deal with Afghanistan without the United States running interference for them. So, so when people talk about China, I, I just kind of chuckle. I mean, would you want? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, anyhow. Yeah. So again, the, again, last question, and we got to run to a break shortly. Back to the, which was really the first question again. Biden did right to exit from Af- to Afghanistan, but he, did he do it correctly? Uh, he had no choice. The Doha agreement was in place. He could have either have escalated the war and fought a shooting war with the Taliban and have the United States renege on their word, a word that was made by the previous president. So, he could have escalated. Or he could have de-escalated. But could it have been a less less sloppy exit? I mean, we still have people at the, you know, flocking to the uh, airport in Kabul trying to get out. Compared to a civil war in Kabul, probably not. Yeah. What's the the alternative? But okay, do we thank Biden for the exit from Afghanistan? Or do we thank Trump? Do we thank (laughs) Trump? Oh, neither one of them. Neither, okay. Neither one of them. Um, No, no. This, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I think... We don't need to individualize policy with either one of those okay. individuals. This was a national policy for 20 years that Jeff, we were all a part of. Jeff, thank you uh, so much for joining us, folks. We've been talking to Jeffrey Weiss. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the program, Jeffrey. Thank when you. we come back, folks, uh, Kathy Burns is going to be our guest. We're going to be talking about food security and answering the question as to whether it's best driven by federal policy or at the local level. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Market and Cafe, that's our anchor sponsor. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online. And Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Okay, so with me now in the studio, Kathy Burns. She joins me to discuss local food security. 
The big question, is it best done at the federal level, state level, or locally? Kathy, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, so uh, I know we're, we're big fans of um, what's happening here in Des Moines with the Food Security Task Force. Obviously, there's stuff happening federally as well. And a big debate about where, you know, where this um, initiative needs to be focused. Uh, is it really, um, I mean, is it something we can count on the USDA running with? Or do we need to be seeing our local communities, our cities, our counties, our states taking the, the lead on it? At Birds and Bees Urban Farm, we feel we are taking the lead on it. Um, we are, you know, a nonprofit, and we're dedicated to helping people grow food in their spaces. And so, we're also working with the uh, city council in Des Moines on the food security task force. And the whole point is to encourage local production of food, making it easier for people to grow and harvest and process food, not harder. Um, I think the big the big surprise that a lot of people have coming is, um, is is that food security is going to affect us all at some point. And so, yes, the federal government and even the state government support local initiatives through grants and uh, information, but I think the local level is where it's at. And is that partly because in your local community you understand what the what the uh, needs are? You also understand more about what grows well. Uh, I mean, that's part of the problem is you've got, we've got a huge country and uh, there are some places where, like in Des Moines, it doesn't make sense for us to grow oranges here. <laughs> <laughs> I love oranges. We don't want a citrus so. grove here, but you know, it seems like um, maybe the one size fit all that you might expect from a centralized uh, source doesn't apply right. when it comes to food. Right. Uh, also at the local level, city, even county level, uh, neighborhood level, you can be on top of emerging issues. For instance, emerging Japanese beetles, which is what people are <laughs> fighting right now. So these things are all very specific to locations. Uh, not everybody deals with the same, yeah. um, you know, uh, growing, uh, you know, questions and growing yeah. projects. Well, and a lot of times, a lot of places, increasingly, it's drought. It's it's water. Mm -hmm. uh, I know New Mexico is uh, kind of. Uh, uh, not not as bad off as a lot of states in the western region, and I also know that in, in Taos you've got uh, you've got people there, uh, the, the local government and individuals. Um, I, I believe it's is it is it mostly individuals and nonprofits, but I I know there's been uh, talk about some good stuff happening in Taos when it comes to local foods. Yeah, I did find um, the a, a food initiative. It's not. A, a municipal initiative. It's it's a couple of groups coming together. I found one called Local Food for Local People. Uh, it's a joint effort from TCF or Taos Community Foundation and Tilt Taos Initiative for Life Together. Um, they've got a framework that uh, focuses on the uncertainty of the future in uh, economy, health, and climate and needing to uh, build resilience and connectedness for local food production. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and again, what what happens in Taos in terms of uh, the growing environment is so different than what happens in Des Moines. So <laughs> right, and they've got I, different different cultural <clears throat> infrastructure too. They've got a common vision of uh, local food uh, linked to uh, the the regional area and, um, you know, just, just connecting the people that they know and getting people together on a larger initiative. So I, th I think you've got to know who you're working with and know how folks work together best. Yeah. And again, I know, I know water is such a big issue 
I mean, I know, again, New Mexico may not be hurting as bad as California, Nevada, Oregon, other places out west. But I remember when I was walking across New Mexico with the climate march back in 2014, meeting a farmer who said, you know, it's really come down to a, a, a war over water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're losing it to the, to the city. <laughs> Santa Fe is winning this particular war. And, um, you know, that's... That's that's just reality anymore that uh, we have to deal with. But I'm looking around. I know that um, I know there are other parts of the country that have um, have established task forces to deal with how to how to relocalize food production as climate change gets worse. I know that uh, I'm, I'm more familiar with the, the situation in Boston, but I've, I've heard that Seattle. Even though you know much about Seattle, Seattle's been doing some stuff as well. Well, I did find it's an actual city initiative in Seattle. It's called the City of Seattle Food Action Plan, and I like. I like a lot of things about what they're doing from their website uh, in the About the Plan section. It says there's a strong network of successful and culturally appropriate businesses that produce, process, cook, transport, and sell healthy food. And uh, they're, they're looking at opportunities to produce food locally and uh, make food waste minimal. So the, the part about that, though, that's confusing is that the, the focus seems to be in some ways on people producing food to sell to those who want to buy local food. Uh, and that's good. That, that's that good. is good. That's always that's needed. going to happen. And yeah. it encourages economic growth. You have more small farmers, small food producers getting in on uh, a, a vibrant business and restaurants uh, having access to healthy foods and people in farmers markets getting healthier foods. Um, but what is it, it kind of seems exclusive to food for sale. And here in Des Moines, mm. we're focusing mm-hmm. on that portion of food security regarding local food production, but we're also focusing heavily on helping individuals grow food to eat. And that is old fashioned and so important because in the yeah. face of climate change, we've got to be ready to have the knowledge, the infrastructure and the support to grow food that we eat. This isn't just about buying yeah. and selling. And again, that's that's certainly admirable, of course. That's 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 what what we do. We try to grow as much of the food we eat as possible, but we can't raise flour, we can't raise meat, we can't raise dairy products, and we can't raise the all important elements uh, of a diet that we refer to as wine and che- wine and chocolate. Uh, <laughs> so there's always going to be a, a need for I mean, somebody who can raise uh, wheat and oats and rye and barley and, and, and grind that into flour for sale. There's always going to be a need mm-hmm. for dairy farmers and uh, and uh, and meat producers for those who eat meat. Um, yeah, and uh, that's, that's 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 to me that's the hardest piece to figure out is how do you how do you create that network where uh, local people and local governments and institutions like schools, hospitals, businesses start making it a priority to purchase from other from local producers, local businesses, and local communities supporting local farmers. How do you how do you make that happen in a in a in a food network? I mean, the whole the whole food system in this country is heavily subsidized in a way that is skewed against the small local producer. And you know, move, moving back into that that direction is going to be essential in the new climate era. It really is a cultural shift. I do believe, though, that some people are deciding when they're when they're being mobile in their um, you know where they live. A lot of people are seeing communities that 
encourage local food production as the cool factor that makes them want to move to that city. Des Moines will become more of that when we get more local production, um, but but there really is a cool factor. And what, what exactly, maybe help me try to understand what exactly qualifies as cool in local food production. Is it being able to see chickens? Well, you know, <laughs> people, people don't expect to be as wowed by it as they are. Folks come around uh, our place and they walk through the alley and they see the chickens and they stop and they, they, they gawk. They don't squawk like the chickens. They, they, gawk. they gawk at the squawk. But squawkers. they ask questions and then they come back and they bring their kids and they, they see it as a learning opportunity and the adults are equally fascinated. Mm. Yeah, well, the cool factor, hey, if that's, if that's what it takes, let's go for it. But yeah, I, I think it's important to see that we see more initiative at the local level. And, and, and personally, I think there needs to be initiative at the federal and state levels as well, but don't wait. Uh, the bigger the institution, the smaller, the slower they move. Good point. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to Kathy and our other guests today, Josh Mandelbaum, David Karad-Hari, Mark Rogers, Rachel Mander, and Jeffrey Weiss. And thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, and... Kathy Burns. Thanks also to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. And thanks also to our our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. We'll be with you next week again on the Fallon Forum.